Thanks for tuning into the Refuge Church Sermon Podcast. It's our prayer that the Spirit would use God's Word to stir your affections for Christ during this time. While we're glad to provide this online content, please remember that it's not intended to replace commitment and connection within a local church family. Now, here's this week's message. Be reading from the book of Ephesians, uh, chapter 4, beginning with verse 25. Therefore, each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to your neighbor, for we are all members of one body. In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry, and do not give the devil a foothold. Anyone who has been stealing must steal no longer, but must work, do something useful with their own hands that they may, share, they may have something to share with those in need. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, with whom we're sealed for the day of redemption. Get rid of all bitterness, rage and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another. Forgive, forgive each other, just as Christ God forgave you. Hey, there we go. See, I turned myself off anyway. All right, my name is Darden Kaler, for the rest of you. I'm one of the pastors here at Refuge, and I want you to know that I am aware of the time. Uh, If you didn't know this, (laughs) I am really aware of the time. There's a really big red clock uh, on the back wall that, that flashes the time at me constantly, and so I know exactly what time it is. I've drank extra coffee today in hopes that I can blaze through this quickly. Uh, but <laughs> as uh, uh, Jeremy Jacobs pointed out a couple weeks ago, you know, you, there, there's so much in each of these uh, phrases that we're going through, it's a little bit difficult to get through it. So I promise I will do my best for you all, and even more importantly for those who are working with the children today, because the longer we stay in here, the longer they stay in there. It's good for us, it's bad for them. And uh, full disclosure, my wife is in there today, so I'm going to hear about it if I go really long, <laughs> just so you know. All right, so we are uh, coming close to the end of our series on the Apostles' Creed. Uh, I think we started, what, nine weeks ago, eight weeks ago, something like that, yeah, March sometime. Uh, uh, Joel Waymack did the first sermon, and if you remember, uh, what, one of the things that he talked about was that a, a creed is a summary of biblical teaching. A confession, you know, the Westminster Confession, the Heidelberg Catechism, those things, uh, the Apostles' Creed, uh, the Athanasian Creed, all of those are are summaries of what the Bible teaches. Uh, They don't replace Scripture, but they help us organize the thoughts and the ideas and the main points of life and faith that are found in Scripture. That is a a semi-quote from Joel Waymack, so I want to make sure I give him credit for that. Um, Thus... When we say things, when we're saying the creed every week, because we do at the end of the service, we say the creed every week. When we say, I believe in God the Father, or I believe in Jesus Christ, what we're saying is that I believe this is what Scripture, God's Word, teaches about these things. This is what Scripture teaches about God. This is what 
this is what scripture teaches us about who Jesus Christ is. This is the essence. This is the gist of what it teaches. So if a creed is a, is a, summary, a summary or summarizes what scripture says, a sermon, on the other hand, expounds it. A sermon takes what, we're, what we see in Scripture, what we read in Scripture, and it, and it develops it wider. It explains it in more depth. It expounds it. It explains it in greater detail so that we understand the context and the meaning of what the passage is saying. Right? So, today, what we're going to do is we're going to look at uh, the forgiveness of sins and, and the passage that, that Jason just read for us. We're going we're to see how the forgiveness of sins, what we mean when we say, I believe in the forgiveness of sins. What does that mean exactly? How does that apply to us? I've been a pastor for a long time now. Uh, <laughs> I can't remember quite how long. Uh, I've been a pastor for a while now. And uh, I, I've had people over the years say to me, do you really believe forgiveness is possible? Typically, when they ask this question, what they're asking is based on something that's happened in their past, a, a sin, a failure, a, a, a struggle, or whatever. It's, it, it, in their minds, in their hearts, it feels so great and so heavy that they wonder, is forgiveness really possible? Can God really forgive what I've done? In short, the answer is Absolutely! Yes, absolutely. Forgiveness of sins is totally possible through Jesus Christ, through his death and resurrection, his life, death, and resurrection, paying for our sin, believing in him. Forgiveness is absolutely, totally possible for you, for me, for the very worst of people you can possibly think of. Most of you have somebody going through your head. It might be somebody you know personally. Somebody that did something to you. Might be somebody historically. The very worst person in the world, forgiveness is possible for. It's possible. It's possible. When I say that, people ask often, you can't possibly believe that forgiveness is available to a mass murderer, a serial rapist. You can't possibly believe that. And my response is this. I have to. I have to believe it's possible. Let me try to explain that to you. There's a scene in the second movie of the Lord of the Rings trilogy. I love using Lord of the Rings illustrations in part because trade doesn't necessarily understand what I'm saying. And... <laughs> And, and also because I just love the books, I love the movies, I, you know, they, they spark my imagination. So in the second, second movie, right, uh, Two Towers, Frodo and Sam are being led to Mordor by Gollum, the creature Gollum, right? And they're on their way to, uh, to Mordor to destroy the one ring, the ring of power, the evil ring, right? And they're having this argument about the value of helping Gollum. Gollum used to be the keeper of the ring, or he had the ring in his possession, and it, and it made him into less, than, it made him into a monster, basically. And they're having this argument. Sam doesn't think there's, there's any reason to try to help him, and Frodo believes that there is. And Sam says this, he says, there's not left in him but lies and deceit. It's the ring he wants. It's all he cares about. And Frodo snaps back. You have no idea what it did to him, what it's still doing to him. 
Then he says, I want to help him, Sam. And Sam says, why? Why would you possibly want to help him? Why? And Frodo responds, because I have to believe he can come back. Frodo is now the keeper of the ring, and he knows exactly what's, what happened to Gollum. He knows how the ring took him. He knows how the ring destroyed him. And he has to believe, because he's now in possession of that ring, he has to believe that Gollum can come back, because if there is no hope for Gollum, there is no hope for Frodo. The same is true for us. If there is no hope for the worst of sinners the worst human being you can possibly think of, if there is no hope for them while they still live and breathe and have the breath to say, I believe in Jesus Christ, then there is no hope for you or for me or for anyone. Yes, our sins are different, but we are all sinful, and all of our sin deserves God's condemnation. Paul in Romans, in Romans 1 said that there's no one righteous, no one who understands, no one who seeks God, no one who does good. All fall short of the glory of God. All sin and fall short of the glory of God. But here's the good news, right? The very next verse, the very next verse, he says... All sin and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. There is therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Regardless of who you are or what you have done then, there is no condemnation in Christ Jesus. There is hope for forgiveness for you, for me, and for the absolute worst person you can think of. And what that means for us today is that not only can we be forgiven and will we be forgiven through Christ, but by his grace, we too can forgive the person who sinned against us, who hurt us, whose brokenness was played out in our lives. We can forgive those who tormented us and slandered us and abused us. Those who made us feel a little bit or little and weak and unimportant and useless. Those who hurt us in ways that we can't even possibly express with our words. There is hope that we can let go of that, hand it over to Christ, and forgive them. Those who have received his forgiveness through Christ are called to forgive others just as we have been forgiven. I recognize it's not easy. It's painfully difficult. Tim Keller in his book, King's Cross, says there's nothing easy about real forgiveness. When you want to harbor vengeful thoughts, when you want so much to carry out vengeful actions, but you refuse them in an effort to forgive, it hurts. When you refrain, when you forgive, it's agony. Why? Instead of making the other person suffer, you are absorbing the cost yourself. You aren't trying to get your reputation back by tearing the other person's reputation down. You, you're forgiving them, and it's costing you. That's what forgiveness is. True forgiveness always entails suffering. And that's true. It's true. Because forgiveness is refusing to make some sense deep within our souls, but it's perverted by our selfish, sinful, sinful nature. We want to see justice done, but the justice we envision satisfies our own interests. We must realize that justice has already been done. God is only... 
Put on the new that enables you to live for Christ. Live in peace with the Holy Spirit by living in peace with others. Be kind, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. For in Christ we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace. Here Paul links those two words, redemption and forgiveness, because they, they are linked. They can't be separated. Redemption and forgiveness. Stem, or forgiveness stems from redemption. Redemption is paying ransom for our freedom. That's why Paul says it's through his blood. Paul, uh, Christ paid the ransom for our freedom. Redemption could not be gained until God's justice was satisfied. Christ satisfied it with his own blood, and because he satisfied it, now, now we're free to let go and live as a people of forgiveness. We don't have to obey in order to earn God's favor because that's the old self, and we put that off. And we put it off because it's contrary to who we are. We put on the new because it's exactly who Christ died to make us into. Redeems us to be members of his body. Trey talked about this last week. Connected to one another, living in community, living in communion. as part of the church. He, he redeems us to be part of his body. He redeems us to be those who follow his example, obeying God's commands. He redeems us to be those who imitate him in thought, word, and deed, forgiving exactly as he forgave. And forgiving is not necessarily, or it's not, it's not a, a necessary uh, condition of being forgiven, but it's a necessary result of being forgiven. Understand the difference between that. A condition is God says, until you forgive, I won't forgive you. A result is, because you have been forgiven, forgive. We forgive because we have been forgiven. And when God forgives us, it's complete with eternal result. It's not that we will be forgiven someday if everything works out. It's that we are forgiven. Past, present, and future sins. And this, my friends, is God's grace. In fact, for the word for forgiveness, the Greek word for forgiveness is actually, um, it comes from the base word for the word grace. To receive God's grace is to be pardoned, to be forgiven, and that's what it means for us to be forgiven, is to be pardoned by God. Paul doesn't explain that in detail here. He doesn't really explain it at all here, because he doesn't need to. The Ephesians knew what Paul was talking about. He had preached there for three years. They certainly what it knew, what it meant to be forgiven. It meant that God had pardoned their sin and their selfishness. It meant that God would not hold their sins against them. It meant that he would withhold his divine judgments that they deserve and place it on his son who absorbed the cost for us. Think of it like this. Hypothetically, say that I got my first speeding ticket when I was in high school, a senior, hypothetically speaking. And, and hypothetically say that it was because um, Belinda, who was a freshman in, in, in college, uh, was home for the day, and I had, before school, gone over to visit her before my first class. And hypothetically say that it was because I didn't leave her house in time to get to school in time, that I was going a little too fast, just hypothetically. Um, and, and then hypothetically say, after I got stopped, I tried to pass off the fact that I was speeding on the fact that the speedometer didn't work in the car which then hypothetically 
made the police officer write me a ticket not just for speeding but also for a failure to maintain a vehicle properly. <laughs> which then hypothetically made the ticket $150 instead of $100, uh, which then hypothetically made my parents very upset. Let's just hypothetically say that's true. So what are my parents' options? Uh, most of my friends, their parents would have done something like this. They would have said, well, your ticket, you're not driving your car until it's paid off. Your problem, not ours. If you go to jail, you go to jail. I, knew, I, I had a friend whose parents let him go to jail because he didn't have the money to pay his ticket. That's one option. Other option is you screwed up. You're sorry. We'll cover the cost. That's what my parents did. Hypothetically. It's not a perfect analogy, but I think you get the idea, right? Justice required that sin be paid for in some way. God's law said that sacrifice had to be made. So Jesus sacrificed himself to pay the price for our sins. Proclaiming on the cross that it is finished. It's done. It's complete. Sadly, Many Christians, maybe some of you here today, don't always feel that assurance of God's word. You're plagued by feelings of guilt for past sins and failures. You live as if the cross never happened. You doubt that God's grace is enough. I'm sorry if that's how you feel. I am. I've been there. I know what that's like. It hurts. The doubt is a struggle. Wondering, could God possibly fully forgive me? But here's what I want to encourage you with. There's a huge difference between feeling and being something. I feel 10 foot tall and bulletproof. On a good day, I'm 5'6 and 52 years old, so that doesn't make me bulletproof. Feelings are not the ultimate authority on whether for, we're forgiven. They're, they're, they come and they go. God is the ultimate authority on whether we're forgiven. And he says, you are forgiven through my son. You are forgiven when you trust in him for the forgiveness that you need. You're forgiven. It's done. Completely. The debt has been paid. It's satisfied. Psalm 103 says that when God forgives us, he removes our sin as far as the east is from the west. Or, or my favorite verse, favorite out of the Old Testament at least, my favorite verse in Jeremiah 31, where we're told that God forgives our inequities and remembers our sin no more. God is all-knowing, so the fact is, is that he does still know that you sin, and he knows what sins you've committed, but what, what, what's being said here is that he's erased them from the record. He's covered them with Christ's righteousness. He's covered them so that it's as if he remembers them no more. That's what God's forgiveness looks like for us. That's what we are called to do when we forgive others. We don't hold their sins against them doesn't mean that forgiveness is the absence of anger. There are times to be angry. Paul says in verse 26, be angry, but do not sin. But the issue is this. Anger is justified, yes, sometimes. Maybe often. 
but don't allow that anger to linger. Anger that lingers turns into a sin. It's, it turns into bitterness and resentment and hostility and malice and so on. The very things that keep us from feeling forgiven, from knowing the assurance of God's forgiveness. And they keep us from forgiving as we've been forgiven. His forgiveness enables us to be patient with one another, to deal gently with one another, as Paul says, to live at peace with one another, even those who sin against us. To grow in God's grace, then we must be ready to forgive. We must be ready to offer that to the people that we go, oh, do I have to? Maybe that's not the attitude we want to start with. But, but you get the idea. The forgiveness that we offer comes from the forgiveness that we experience. Jerry Bridges writes this in Transforming Grace, and I will close with this. Says the person who is living by grace sees this vast contrast between his own sins against God and the offenses of others against him. He forgives others because he himself has been so graciously forgiven. He realizes that by receiving God's forgiveness through Christ, he has forfeited the right to be offended when others hurt him. It's not easy. It's not easy but it's what we've been forgiven for. It's what grace is poured out on us for, to to forgive and to pour out that grace on others every single day of our lives. It's God's people. He calls each one of us to forgive just as he's forgiven and to live as those who are redeemed. Will you pray with me, please? Gracious God, we thank you for the forgiveness that we've experienced, for the forgiveness that we know through the cross, through the life, death, and resurrection of your Son. Lord God, would you make that new in our hearts, particularly if we have trouble feeling it, particularly if we're filled with doubts about whether your grace is enough. Give us an extra measure of your Spirit, Lord, that we might understand that anew, in a new way each and every day. Take away the doubts that we have. Take away the feelings of guilt that we have that we hold on to as if it's somehow attached to us, as if we somehow need it in order to exist. Take those things away, Lord. Place them on your son just as you've done with our sin and remind us each and every day of what he accomplished for us. And Lord, help us to live in the joy and the peace and the gratitude that comes from knowing we are forgiven and we are holy and dearly loved by you. We pray all these things in Christ's gracious name. Amen. Building our identity in Christ for the sake of the world. That's the mission of Refuge Church. For more information, visit us online at seekrefuge.net.